On this episode of Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness, multiple state championship high school head football coach of Dowling Catholic in Des Moines, Iowa, Tom Wilson joins us to talk about the differences between small schools and large schools, and what we find out is really interesting. Stay tuned to find out how you can be the better leader in everything that you do. We can't wait to get started. Here we go. All right, welcome to another episode of Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with Dwayne Mathis. We are honored to have in the studio with us multiple state championship winning coach Tom Wilson. He's got a great story to tell, going from small school to big school and having success all along the way. We can't wait to get started, but first, Coach Mathis, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's, uh, you know, digging out from our, our almost foot of snow that we got, but the warmer temperatures are melting them melting it pretty fast and, um, you know, just anxious to obviously get some warmer temperatures. Unbelievable. Coach Wilson, how are you today? I'm great. I appreciate it. Glad we don't have that foot of snow in the morning. (laughs) We got about three inches here on the east side of the state, so we're not, we're we're feeling not nearly as bad as you are, Coach Mathis. Uh, Coach Wilson, again, thanks for taking time with us. Uh, We have a lot of people who are anxious to hear your story. And uh, before we get into that, you know, we'd just love to hear how you got to Dowling and, and kind of your story uh, getting to where you are now. Well, I appreciate that. appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I always uh, like doing things like this and listening to podcasts like this to learn more myself. So uh, just a little bit about me. I uh, grew up in Monroe, Iowa, which is now PCM, a uh, small town, uh, smaller school uh, in the state. And then uh, Played ball at, at Buena Vista for Jim Hirschberger, was there a couple of years, uh, decided to move on after that, and finished at Grandview uh, here in Des Moines. And, you know, I got, uh, I volunteered uh, back at Monroe uh, with the football program uh, during my last year there at Grandview. Uh, lo and behold, as I was graduating, I was looking for jobs. And, uh, you know, obviously, like everybody else, you're you're looking at every position possible, just try to get your foot in the door. Uh, there was a school called uh, English Valley, which is in North English, Iowa. And uh, the head football coaching job was open. Uh, so it had an elementary education position also open. And uh, I decided to apply just assuming that an assistant on staff or somebody else may take the head coaching job, then I could be an assistant and start getting my feet wet and Uh, go there and uh, interview, and lo and behold, I I get the job and I get the head position. Uh, How, I don't know. uh, Why, I don't know. But uh, I was fortunate enough to get the head job, and it was kind of sink or swim. And as I learned more about that job, I was replacing a a coach that had passed away at a relatively young age uh, in the middle of the previous football season. So uh, it was less less than ideal situation. Uh, Great community, awesome school. Uh, again, very small town, but it was kind of in disarray. Uh, got there, uh, spent three years there, uh, loved it, learned a lot. Uh, and, and as I mentioned, I you know, probably had no business being the, the head coach there. And, and uh, my main assistant there was Kurt Ritchie, who is the, the head coach at Williamsburg uh, and has had a great deal of success himself there. Uh, and he became one of my very best friends. And and uh, we still talk weekly to this day. And his daughter's my goddaughter, so you know it works uh, 
in mysterious ways sometime, but football brought us together, and then a lifetime later, we're, we still have a relationship. And uh, got the chance to, to go to Wilton on the other side of Iowa City uh, after that, and uh, spent two years there. Again, uh, loved the, the community, loved the job. Um, but after that second year, um, and towards the end of that second year, um, I got the opportunity to be a graduate assistant at, at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. And so, you know, I was just getting ready to get married uh, at that time. And, and uh, we got married in June and loaded up the car and, and uh, drove to Muncie, Indiana. And uh, became a, a GA out there. And, and really, it changed probably the course of my career. Uh, getting your master's is one thing. I know anybody that's been a GA, uh, you really get your master's in football uh, because going to class and things like that's not the easiest thing to do when you're juggling everything. And uh, spent two years there uh, around great people. Uh, Bill Lynch was the head coach at that time. He ended up uh, being the head coach at Indiana. Uh, had some successful years there. Kurt Mallory, uh, who is the son of Bill Mallory, um, and Kurt himself is the head coach at Indiana State right now and uh, still a very good friend of mine. And uh, wide receiver coach uh, Dennis Springer that's at Northwestern, he was on that staff. So we had some great people. Um, and uh, you know, another one I should add is Bob Bartolomeo, uh, who was the head coach at in University of Indianapolis, where my brother's there, the O-line coach there now. So the connections are, are through and through. And uh, we got to play in the Las Vegas Bowl, won the Mid-American Conference that year. And uh, the whole time I was there, um, I really wanted to come back to the state of Iowa. Um, as I mentioned, I'd gotten married and, uh, you know, it was time to start a family. Um, I was Iowa through and through. Um, I felt like that's where, you know, I wanted to raise uh, my kids. Uh, my family was here. Uh, my wife's family was here. And you know, I started looking back and, and uh, trying to find jobs and, you know, some opportunities came up in the college game, which I was appreciative of, but I felt my, my calling was to come back and be an elementary teacher and, and coach uh, football in a small school. And so uh, that took me to Dyke, New Hartford. Um, that was, you know, we had a few opportunities um, to different spots, but uh, Dyke, New Hartford was the place I wanted to go. It was uh, close to Waterloo where my wife had family. Uh, it was a program that really needed to be built. Uh, Mark Parker was the, the person that I replaced and phenomenal person. Uh, did a great job, really was the one that had to do the work to bring Dyke and New Hartford together. And my timing was beautiful because uh, some of that tough work had already been done. Uh, and, you know, another reason why I took the job there was Ed Thomas, uh, who at that time was you know, having a great run at AP, and, and I felt, you know, if I was going to grow as a coach, um, I had to, to face some of the best. And, you know, between AP and, and programs like Denver at that time, you know, there were some, some good football in that area at those sides of schools. And so that really excited me. Uh, spent eight years there, had a lot of success. You know, two of my children were born while we were there. And, you know, I get a call from uh, – some people that were connected to Dowling and uh, I really wasn't looking, didn't have any interest. And I just kind of told them, you know, your guys are going to find a, a really good football coach. I just don't think it's going to be Tom Wilson. And uh, again, I was happy uh, being at, uh, at Dyke and Hartford and 
you know, they called again, and then I was convinced that, okay, why not go take a look? Uh, really, two of the needs that they, they wanted was, one was the football program, but a big part of the job was really building the, the weight program, and I'd always been a BFS guy, and I was a national clinician for them at that time, uh, traveling around and doing some uh, different clinics, and uh, that part excited me, although I wasn't certified at the high school level, you could get a temporary to do that. So I went down, interviewed, uh, was uh, very impressed uh, with the place and, and thought, you know, this could be something pretty special. They had had their share of success and then kind of went the other way for a while and uh, went back for a second interview and lo and behold, uh, get offered the job. And I thought it was a job that I could never pass up and, and felt it was uh, felt it was uh, going to be a great challenge for me professionally. I thought it was uh, coming down to to West Des Moines really got me closer to my family and, and also uh, more of my wife's family. And uh, so we took over 15 years ago, and uh, 10 years ago I became the AD and, and uh, no longer in the weight program has been good. It's in better hands than when I had it, and, and uh, things have seemed to work out certainly from there. Well, that's a great story, Coach. And, and uh, you know, there's obviously – you don't remember uh, our paths have crossed personally in the sense of in 1995, I graduated from Tipton High School in Wilton and Tipton were Eastern Iowa Hawkeye Conference uh, schools. And uh, so when you were at Wilton, you actually were coaching against the, you know, my alma mater who I, you know, played for and stuff like that. And, um, but very intrigued to hear the differences, you know, obviously among your stops from the, a small school environment to a school like Dowling and you know obviously English Valley is is the smallest on that scale compared to you know and you kind of grew from from there to Wilton and very big at obviously Ball State but um, you know very interested to know like did you have to change a whole lot of things in, in regards to uh, you know coaching from that mentality of a, a small school to a big school? You know, I think it's a great topic, and it's it's something that I've, I've mentioned at clinics in the past. Um, you know, after 15 years at, at Dowling, I would be the first to tell you I still think I'm a small school guy and and a small school person. And you know, you mentioned at English Valley. Uh, when I tell you I wasn't sure what I was doing, I, I mean that sincerely. Uh, we were the best con- conditioned uh, school in the state, I think, because that's something that that I knew and, and uh, but you fall back on to, to how you grew up. And I, I played for in, in high school, a guy by the name of Larry Andrew. And, you know, he later, uh, he was my football coach and then he became my father-in-law and obviously the, the, the grandfather to my kids. So um, basically I leaned on him and you know, English Valley was a place that now it's an eight, eight player school. And, and uh, it wasn't at that point, um, but, you know, we might have to have a coach play free safety every once in a while and do a lot of half-line stuff. And, uh, but it was a great, great learning experience uh, for me. I, I learned a lot. Uh, a lot of it was trial and error. You know, by, by the time my, my third year, I think we went, my first year, I think we were five and four, then went four and four, then went seven and two, and probably should have made the playoffs with that group. Um, but I learned a lot during that time. But um, you know, I, I don't think it was ever about, I didn't worry about the size of the school then, and I'm not sure I worry about it now. 
it's more about the people of which you're dealing with. And if you do a good enough job at the, at the place you're at, people are going to come calling at some point. And, and sometimes those jobs find you. And, uh, you know, I, the Wilton job intrigued me a little bit at, at that time. They were tremendous in wrestling. I still have a good wrestling program, and, and they were very good in baseball. And the thing that I always thought is, you know, if they can be the, uh, good in those two sports, why can't they be good in the sport of football? And uh, so when and when those interviews came, obviously it was a little bit bigger job. It was a, as a natural step up uh, in competition. But yet it was uh, the size of school was basically what I was used to playing in in high school, at least close to it. And Again, there were a few more people. I basically, you know, brought my program from English Valley that I'd started and growed upon, and uh, took it to Wilton. And uh, we were only there two years, but by the time we left there, the, that second year, we were six and three. But you know, you start coaching, you know, against a Jim Bellamy or or Ed Hansen and and Butch Peterson when you're in your early twenties. Uh, you learn a lot of things in a hurry. And, and I think that that was, uh, those guys are as good of coaches as we've had in our state. And uh, they, they were in small schools. And, and uh, so that was a great learning experience for me. Obviously, I mentioned Ball State, that that's, that's something that, that was on a different level. But yet, you know, it was still about the people and the relationships. And, and I was treated so well that when I was there, Obviously, a coach with experience. I wasn't a kid that was just out of, of college being a graduate assistant, and I probably got more uh, responsibility because of that. And, and I did a lot uh, defensively uh, with, the, with that uh, program and also special teams-wise. Uh, and I, I was around some terrific people, and, and that kind of told me, you know, it doesn't matter what level it is. If it's Class A and I were, you're at the Division One level in the Mid-American Conference. Um, it's how you treat people. And, you know, I learned a lot there with, with people from different backgrounds, uh, you know, and, and as a person that came from, like I've mentioned, small town Iowa, uh, it was good for me to grow as a person. And when I went back to Dyke, New Hartford, um, basically, you know, part of my time there at, at Ball State, I was, anytime I had a free moment, I was designing what my program was going to look like. Obviously, learned a lot at the two previous stops, but it was what I was going to do in the future. And, and uh, you know, from an X and O standpoint, that takes care of itself. But how are you going to organize your staff? How are you going to organize your people? How are you going to hold kids accountable? What, the, what are your expectations work ethic-wise? What are your expectations academic-wise? Those things, spending time in the college game, helped me so much. And so... When it came to, to the job at Dowling, I attacked that day one exactly the way I attacked day one at Dyke New Hartford. It was about getting the people in order. Uh, it was about building your staff, getting them to understand what you wanted the, the uh, program to look like, um, what their roles in the program were going to be. And it's, it's all about surrounding yourself with the people that have a common vision and you know, I get asked a lot, okay, what, what do you do so much that's different now than, than what you did back at Dyke New Hartford? And it's very little. It's the same job. It's just more people. Um, you have to hold more people accountable. Uh, you have, I have a staff of, of 26 guys right now. Um, you know, at Dyke New Hartford, I was lucky to have six. Um, you know, your communication skills are, 
incredibly important. Um, dealing with your parents is incredibly important. And, you know, we, we may have a tendency to over-communicate, um, but I think that that's, you know, part of my small school background is that you want everybody to be in the know of what you're trying to accomplish and what you want done. And if, if, if your communication isn't there, you're going to have gaps in, 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 uh, in that communication, which is going to create more problems uh, for you in the end. Well, Coach, you hit on so many key points uh, just in that few minutes. Uh, we could spend an hour breaking down each one of those points. Uh, but I think it's incredible to hear how um, it's important to know who you are and to stay true to those values. You know, that's a theme that we hear a lot as we're talking to coaches. And, and, I, and I think, you know, I guess I'm not surprised to hear you that, hear you talk about you know, it's trying to stay the same, but as you transferred from school to school, um, and now you're at Dowling, what, was there anything that really took you by surprise? Um, or did your preparation really just get you ready for all the variables? Oh, I think there's a lot of things that, that take you by surprise, to be honest with you. Um, you know, my, my second game out of the shoot at Dowling, I was coaching against Gary Swenson at Valley High School. And, you know, that's a, a fantastic program with a lot of good players, and, and they were in the middle of a lot of talent at that time, and that coaching staff is, is second to none. Um, so I'm not sure what prepares you for that other than experience doing it. Um, and, you know, I, I think probably what takes you by surprise as you go into a bigger school, I think the AAU world is uh, bigger Legion baseball. Um, those types of things. You're dealing with more people, so you have to have your eyes dotted, your T's crossed. Um, there's a lot of distractions that a lot of times you don't have to worry about in small towns because everything revolves around that school. Well, in West Des Moines, it revolves around a lot of things. Um, so I feel like that was probably a learning experience for me. Um, mentioning the staff that I had, you know, I I was able to keep some from the previous staff. Uh, I didn't keep all of them. I was able to, you know, to bring in some people and to hire some people to complete my staff. And, you know, honestly, you know, at, at smaller towns, you kind of get what you get. And, uh, you know, it, I was afforded, you know, the, the, the flexibility to be able to do that. But yet, to a certain extent, you still get what you get because it's not like people are knocking down your door. And, and that first couple of years, you know, I wasn't convinced that my staff was where it needed to be just from an experience standpoint. A part of that is on me as a coach because you have to coach coaches. But, you know, I just wanted to find people that were passionate about kids and they were football junkies. And, you know, at the first time anywhere, I don't think you have the staff that you definitely want. And, you know, by the time you progress through the years, you're able to, to better make that happen. And, I don't think I was prepared for that. You know, you start interviewing those coaches and you start thinking, okay, what is it that I am, am I looking for? Um, and, you know, by now I can tell you X and O wise, I'm not sure I care. Um, it's more about, okay, is this guy passionate about the job he's going to do for me, for our kids in the school? And if they're willing to be that way and it's truly in their heart, uh, the X's and O's part will take care of itself. And, you know, I had a, a strength coach that we 
interviewed and, and uh, the guy was so passionate, you know, that he basically had tears in his eyes and a crack in his voice because of stories that he could tell about kids and where he wanted to take kids. The guy was hired on the spot. That's the kind of person mm-hmm. that I want is, is the passion for people and the passion for the game and the school that they're going to work for. The rest of it will take care of itself. Sounds like, you know, this is something that uh, Coach Level and I have said when we've been, you know, forming our own staffs is, you know, we could kind of care less about the X's and O's or their football knowledge kind of deal. I mean, obviously, you want them to, you know, have a foundation to it, but you want to surround yourself with good character guys that, uh, you know, are going to, you know, promote the things that you're doing in your program and are, and are passionate about, you know, their their job. I mean, I always told other people, I can coach them up to the what uh, X's and O's that we run so that they're preaching that. But, you know, you can't teach someone how to be a good person. Right. You know, part of it here and here's a perfect example. When I came to Dowling, I basically brought, you know, our our offense uh, from Dyke New Hartford. And, you know, we were a pro style team, basically two back, obviously get into a little bit of spread, but wasn't huge into it at that time. Uh, and my first couple of years at Dowling, we had some success, um, but we found out that we were going to have to change if we're really going to compete with the schools that we're going to have to be uh, with the talent level that we have. And, you know, also defensively, when I came here, the people that I hired were more comfortable running a 3-4. I hadn't coached a 3-4 in my life, but that's what my coaches knew. But after a couple of years, we thought that needed to change as well. So if, if you go to change those types of things and make those types of adjustments and you've got guys that aren't willing to roll up their sleeves, go to work and travel the country to find the answers that you need, you're doing it yourself. And, but, if you, but if you can find those people that are, are willing to work and they're that passionate about it, they're going to travel the country with you and you're going to make those changes uh, and alterations together. And I think that's huge and that's really what we've done. So when you talked earlier, you said, you know, at a small school, you, you just get what you get in regards to your coaches. It's not like, you know, you have that choice, you know, when you're hired to say, hey, I want to I want to pick my guys. So what's your advice to to coaches who are at the are going into a small school who just, you know, get what you get? And uh, in regards to coaches, because sometimes it's just the location where you're at that you're. I mean, you don't have a pool to draw from, draw from in, in regards to your coaches. I mean, so I'm encouraged or interested to hear what your thoughts on that, Coach. You know, the first thing is the administration that you're working for, to be honest with you. When I took the job at Dyke New Hartford, and part of the reason why I wanted that job so bad was the high school principal. And he was a former uh, uh, high school football coach. I think he was at Independence, to be honest with you. He was... Uh, a former high school coach, he understood, um, and he he wanted that program, our football program, to be successful. And I felt okay. I've got an administrator that gets it. Now, not everybody has that luxury, and I think we've all been there. But that's really the first place I look: is Am I going to be working for somebody that's going to let me do my thing? And, and sometimes there's changes, and you have no no power over that. But um, as I mentioned, you get what you get, then it comes down to you. You have to be willing to coach up the coaches 
and spend the time to do that. And, you know, I think it starts in all of our youth programs and, and all of us spent time there. And to me, those youth programs can be a coaching uh, training ground because you might find some dad that does a pretty darn good job at it that never even thought about coaching but got into it because of his kid. But he finds out that that becomes a passion of his and you can groom him to, to later on bring him to your staff. But um, I think you always have to, for me now that I'm you know in my 50s, I look for, for young blood. I want younger people to come in and and help our program and bring that enthusiasm and, and things that maybe I used to do that you don't do as well. So, um, again, I think it's, it's still about the people. It's about the support. It's about coaching your coaches. And for a lot of coaches, I think at smaller schools that can get really frustrating, but the, at the end of the day, you have to keep trying to work with those people. And if those guys aren't willing to do it, if they're just grabbing a, a contract or a stipend, and they're not doing the, doing the job that you uh, need to have them do. At the end of the day, it's your rear end, and you're going to have to go try to find somebody else. And if the administration won't let you do that, then I'd update your resume. <coughs> that's that's powerful, and very. You know, I, th- I think that's uh, I, I think that's what a lot of coaches need to hear sometimes is you know you trust your gut really when it comes down to it. You know, I have some some coaches who do a really good job of saying, you know, coach, it's your name on the program. We're going to do what you what you want us to do and what you ask us to do. And and, you know, when you're looking for that collaborative effort, uh, that's that's how you that's how you feel really empowered as a coach to me is when, is when you know you got support of your staff. And yes, they're willing to listen and work and talk with you, but ultimately know that, you know, if you're willing to love them and listen to them, but ultimately make the call, uh, they'll have they'll have your back till the cows come home. Um, I'm curious, you know, as you, as you've gone through the ranks, you know, everyone has their set of standards, their set of values, uh, absolutes or non-negotiables, if you will. What are, what are those for you, coach Wilson? You know, I, we, we spend so much time and I, and I think a lot of coaches are doing a good job with this now of just trying to build people. And, you know, for us, it's character and, I think, you know, we've gotten in so many ways to, to doing this or to trying to emphasize this, uh, and I can allude to that here in a second, or at least uh, expand upon it, but really it's character, uh, work ethic, and so a lot of people say, okay, what does work ethic mean? You know, I think some coaches are afraid to put high expectations on their kids and on their coaches, and take the weight room, for example. You know, some people uh, make suggestions that they're going to be in the weight room or the weight room is going to be open at such and such a time. Well, I, I have always felt like, okay, you coming to the weight room is a choice. Me playing you is also a choice. So if you're not going to be in the weight room, uh, then don't expect to be playing on Friday night. And I've had so many small school coaches say, well, I can't do that. You know, my best kid, uh, he doesn't like to lift. Well, you're making your own bet. Uh, with that. And, and at the end of the day, the program will never reach its potential if you don't hold people accountable to those expectations. Um, you know, and, and I think the other thing is just really with us is our practices. Um, 
they're they're organized and and our expectations are as a such that you know we're there to work we're there to get better and we're willing to hold our kids accountable so again the accountability piece i think is uh really really important that for whatever reason some coaches are afraid to do 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 you think coach that's easier to do at a dowling than it is to do at maybe when you were at english valley in the sense of just purely from a standpoint of numbers you know you you have obviously probably over 100 kids in your program at dowling where at english valley you probably had 25 30 35 well i can tell you this story we had a kid uh, at english valley that uh, wasn't in the weight room and i uh, knocked on his door his mother let me in the house and I went up to his bedroom, and I got him out of bed and got him into the weight room. Well, the only change here at Dowling is I called him on the phone and told him to get into the weight room. And so nice. that part really hasn't changed for me. Is it easier, you know, to a certain extent? Yeah, we've got more numbers. That doesn't mean they're all Division One athletes. Um, you know, we've, we have similar issues because you start playing the valleys of the world where, you know, they've got a lot of kids. And they have more kids than us, and they have the same issues that everybody else does. It's really, at English Valley, if I had 21 uh, high school players, I was playing against teams with that number. And it was no different than when I was at Wilton or Dyke New Hartford, and now at Dowling, it's the same thing. So um, we could debate whether it's numbers is the most important or not. Uh, if we want, to me, having the kids there that are willing to work for you, each other, and the school and are passionate about doing it is more important. I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the things that I wrote down here as, as you're talking and, uh, you know, we always, Tim and I say this is kind of like a, a master's class for us and we usually have a few pages worth of notes by the time these podcasts get done is when, if you had to give advice mm -hmm. to a young coach who was looking for their first head coaching job, you know, everyone always wants to look at facilities you know, the, the talent level that they have coming back on a, on a returning team or, you know, the potential that is there. But what would you feel is the most important thing for a young coach or any coach that is looking to get their first head coaching job? Would, would you say it's the administration that's in, in place already, or would you say it's, you know, the other things? Uh, I would probably look at two things. Uh, the first one, without, without question, is administration. You have to be on the same page as your administration. And part of that comes down to the accountability piece that I've talked about. There's some people that don't think that you should really hold kids accountable to get into the weight room and do the work that you need to do to be successful. And to me, those are the, the schools that you run from because you're, you're not going to be successful. You really aren't. Um, the second thing is, is as that pro, is that school been successful at anything else? It's it's a little bit like uh, the Wilton situation that I mentioned. Um, the rest, they, wrestling and baseball. Wrestling and baseball. I, I they knew how to win at something, um, and so I, I felt uh, they really had a chance to end up being successful. And you know, at Dyke New Hartford, probably the the people that led the way for us. When I first got there was our girls' volleyball program. Um, Barb Baker was the coach, had won multiple state championships. Those girls outworked the guys when I got there. 
And then, then you start pointing all that out and all they're doing. We had to first outwork the girls' volleyball team if, if we were going to ever compete with Applington Parkersburg. So um, I think you have to find people that you're going to support you to hold kids accountable and run the program the way that you want to run it. And at least a, a community that you can find a glimmer of hope that they want to be successful. Coach, uh, we, we wanted to hear a little bit more uh, of your thoughts on, on how you empower your staff um, to take care of business. Um, obviously, you have a large number of, of people that work for you and, and you serve with. Um, give us some insight as to how you do that. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because it was something that popped in my head uh, earlier and, and just didn't get to it. You know, as a head coach, I think if you want people to take ownership uh, in you as the head coach uh, and really also your program, it's a must to give them responsibilities and a say uh, in the entire program. But at the end of the day, it's the head coach that has to make a decision. So you know, just to, to kind of back up to maybe some of the other spots, since we're talking about some of the smaller schools, you know, to me, I don't care how you divide things up. You know, some some head coaches might be an offensive guy. Some head coaches might be a defensive guy. Whatever you are, that other side of the ball has to have somebody that you trust on it a lot. And, and a lot of times, um, you know, some people are going to be coaching both sides of the ball um, your defensive coordinator may be helping you with the somebody with the offensive line and, and all of those types of things. I don't care how you divide it up. I just think that you have to have a clear division of who's responsible for what uh, on both sides of the ball, um, special teams, and everything in your program. Um, we have, and then today, you know, at, at Dowling, our staff is divided up between offense, uh, defense, special teams, obviously, but we have a sophomore staff and we have a freshman staff. And, you know, amongst those, it's all divided up, much like what you probably do at your programs, um, with clearly defined goals, clearly defined responsibilities, who's doing what. There's really no question of who's in charge of, of what session, who's in charge of scripts, who's in charge of time. Um, our guys have everything pretty clearly defined of what they're supposed to do. I think that's critical in order to be able to get ownership from your assistance in the program. Coach, would, would, taking that down one step further, um, what, what would you do to empower your players? Uh, you have to put them in, in position to be empowered. And by that, we all of us talk about leadership all the time. Um, and you might talk to a player and say, hey, I need this or I need that out of you. I think you have to go much deeper than that. Um, you know, we have, and, and I think a lot of people have a unity council. Um, the unity council for me, and we meet in season, is critical for a lot of reasons. And, and one I think two things really is obviously it gives kids the opportunity to let you know from their view how things are going. But the, really the second one for me is the lower levels because I'm not on their practice field. Um, I know what our coaches 
how they feel it's going. Uh, but I don't know what the, what the kids think. And so that allows me to really interact with the lower levels in a more, more personable level than I would otherwise had I, I not had that. You know, I think we have to be willing to teach the kids that what we want. And I think the last few years, you know, and Iowa and Iowa State have both done this uh, very well, are, are uh, incorporating book reads into your programs. Um, really, that's easier said than done. But I think it's critical uh, to find some way to get the kids to understand in a real-life level of what you want your program to look like. But not only that, what do they want the program to look like? Um, you know, we went through a few different books of what we were doing, and we have settled for us, and we only do juniors and seniors. That is our varsity program right now. Um, that we'll do chop wood, carry water with our juniors, and we do pound the stone with our seniors. And I don't think that's, I don't think that that's anything revolutionary or different what other people are doing. But during the summer, that allows us to hear from our kids. We meet with them once a week. That allows us to, to meet with them, go through the content, um, have them explain what this means to them. Uh, what does it mean to our, our program? Uh, how, what's it going to look like? What can you do to enhance it to make sure that our program starts taking um, on these characteristics that are in these books, in these stories that all of us want? Those are two great books, Coach. Uh, Joshua Metcalf is, is a favorite of mine and Coach Lovell. I know Coach Lovell has used Chop Wood, Carry Water. I've used Pound the Stone in my book reads that I've done with uh, our athletes. And, um, you know, I'm also just very curious, you know, what other books are, if, are what are you reading right now? Uh, what have you read in the past that, you know, was pretty powerful for you that, uh, you know, that maybe you haven't mentioned already? You know, and and I'm terrible about this. I got about four of them that I should be reading right now. But, you know, I want to talk about a little bit about the books that we did settle on. Because to your point, there's a million good books out there. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't care. I mean, all you have to do is go on Twitter and, and find good things that could be good for your programs. But I think when you find whatever it is that you want to use that fits you as the head coach and what you want your program to look like, that's what you have to stick with. And I think a lot of coaches start looking for, okay, what's the, the next great book? And to me, I don't have to look every year for the next great book. I've got two great ones that happen to be by the, the same author that are closely related that fit what I want our program to be like. I want our kids to focus step-by-step step on a process. All of us talk about it, but this explains it, and then we can go show them what this means. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that people have asked me through the years, okay, how do you, how have you been able to keep the kids focused after winning a title or winning the second title or the third title? We never talk about the titles. We always talk about the process of what we've got to do today to get to tomorrow and the following day that's going to make us our best on Friday or whenever the next game may be. And some of it may sound like coach speak, but that's how we run our program. And that's how we kind of live our life in the fall is day by day. So 
you know, I, I guess that's probably the one thing that I want to emphasize is find what is best for you. It's no different than team slogans. You know, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a younger coach, every year I'm sitting there trying to figure out, okay, what's the best slogan for this team? Some of you may even ask your seniors, what's the best slogan uh, for our team this year? And it becomes a senior thing. You know, about six or seven years ago, um, I came across team first. Well, for the last six or seven years, our slogan has been team first. And everything that we do in our program and the decisions that we make are with the team first in mind. And so it's like I tell our parents, why would I change it? it I'm not going to find a better slogan or two better words that's going to fit how we run our program any better than team first. And so I, I, I guess I, I feel like you, you have yeah. to get what best fits you and then roll with it and go with it and, and uh, then let that help empower your kids. Well, Coach, you really hit on it, you know, kind of where we wanted to go next with, with you know, maintaining that that excellence. You, you guys have had quite a run. Um, can you talk really what got you to that point? What do you think was the, the piece that took you to that edge? And then you, you kind of described some things that have helped you maintain and just in terms of daily focus. Uh, but can you detail that a little bit more? You know, I think there's an awful lot of things, and, and we've already touched on it uh, a little bit with the coaching staff, um, with the administration allowing me to run our program. And we have uh, football at Dowling is important. Um, and, you know, people want to be successful, and they're going to make sure their kids are up at 6 o'clock in the morning to, to do speed and agility when they understand the importance of it. Um, I think our – I think some of the things that have allowed us to maintain some consistency, and I don't think there's any secret to it, um, accountability uh, of our kids in the classroom. And why, probably why I say that first is that we want our kids to understand that it's not all about football, that we care about them, what happens to them in the classroom, whether it's you know, right now, whether, whether they're going to be able to go to college, where they're going to go to college doesn't matter if they're going to play a sport or they're going to be able to maximize their ability in the classroom so they can maximize themselves as a person when they go into an adult. And I think our parents see the time and effort that we put into their children. And I think that they appreciate the fact that we worry about them as people. Um, and, and I think a lot of coaches do a, a good job of that. But I also think coaches get caught up in the X's and O's and and those types of things too often that really it's not about that. Um, it's about, you know, are you going to mentor these kids and play a positive role? And, you know, sometimes there's kids that have great families that they don't always need your guiding and support. There's a bunch of others that do. And, and I think that those are the kids that, that you can maximize. And one of the things that I really think that we've done a great job of is building a whole person and the academic part of it was, is, is a piece of that, but not every kid's going to be a straight A student, but every kid I think in our program is going to understand that we care about and we're going to keep pushing them to, to be the best that they can be in that environment, but also in the athletic environment. Um, you know, our, our weight program, I think we've done and our strength and conditioning, uh, Adam Jack runs that. I think he does a phenomenal job. But again, for him, even in that arena, and for us as coaches, 
It's about relationships. And you've got some coaches that want no business of being in that weight room. And a big part of it is confidence. They're not confident being in there. And, you know, again, it's coaching your coaches and you have to get them so they're confident. You can build a lot of relationships in the weight room. But again, it's the consistency and the accountability of that and taking, you know, your, your best athletes and hopefully making them great and your average ones, I, you can elevate them to an all-state type player. And some of the most rewarding times that I have ever had as a coach are from kids that barely played. Uh, on a meaningful minute on Friday nights, but they know that they maximize themselves and they're a part of our program and feel great about being in our program and becoming the best that they can be. Um, and again, I think, and you know, if you, if you guys have had coach Miller on here, I'm sure he talked about 3d coaching. Well, you know, we're no different. All of our coaches are getting certified in 3d coaching. I've been certified uh, in that in years and again, it's about the head and the heart. Uh, it really is. And, you know, we could go and talk about that for an awful long time, but the kids have to understand that you care, and then they'll go to the lengths of work for you and what you want to accomplish. Now, the success that we've had, success breeds success. Um, I think from our youth program uh, up to our middle school programs, to our lower lo- levels of our high school program, um, the people that are in those programs take an awful lot of pride in the success that we have at the varsity level, and they've worked in order to help us to stay at that level. Well, Coach, I know that uh, Coach Lovell, as well as myself, are big believers in the 3D coaching model and, and not just being a transactional coach and being a transformational coach, um, you know, but as this kind of leads into our next question of, you know, motivating the unmotivated. But to me, I think you really just answered that by, you know, it's about the head and the heart. Uh, You know, you show a kid that you care about them outside of the, outside of the, you know, those white lines, those hash marks, you know, they'll do anything for you. Yeah. And, you know, people always want to talk about the end product all the time. And, And a lot of people think the end product is the state championship. I hope that's not the end product. I I think our success that we have been fortunate enough to enjoy has really been about all the work that nobody else ever sees. And whether it's, you know, our coaches, FaceTime and kids, especially during these times. I mean, I've got coaches that are, you know, helping me out, sending me spreadsheets of work that kids have to get done uh, because they don't have it done yet. Um, and us holding them accountable that way. And I've got kids that I have, you know, weekly FaceTime just to check in academically. It has nothing to do with workouts or anything like that. I'm just trying to figure out how they're doing and, and what's going on. And all of us have challenges, and that's what we have to do for our challenges and the kids that need us. And you're exactly right. I think all of us, in, in I don't care whether it's uh, the Catholic school in West Des Moines, Iowa, or if it's English Valley, Wilton, Marion, Osceola, it doesn't matter. We all have challenges, and and I think if we go and meet those challenges head on with the best interest of the kids and also your program in mind, you can't go wrong. Well, Coach, I, that is, that's great sentiment. I appreciate you you expanding on that. I, 
Uh, you you mentioned what I'm going to ask here a little bit in the beginning, but you know, one one concept that we've really started to understand is you know, great coaches who have had success have oftentimes stood on the shoulders of those before them. And um, can you talk a little bit about you know some of the people that have impacted your life in a great way, either you know, in coaching or in teaching or you know, anything like that? You know, I, I mentioned the the staff at Ball State. Um, you know, I mentioned Kurt Ritchie little bit. Um, there's a lot of people. I can tell you the guy that probably impacted my career as much as anyone is Don Arusha. And Don Arusha uh, was a longtime offensive line coach. Uh, was at UNI, Wartburg, Cedar Falls. Yes. Um, and then he coached with me at, at Dyke New Hartford for eight years. I used to work with him in the early 90s at the Wally Sheets football camp. <laughs> at Cedar Rapids, Washington Co. And uh, he kind of took me under his wing, and then lo and behold, he uh, he quits coaching at, at Wartburg, and I give him a phone call, and he comes and joins me at Dyke New Hartford. And phenomenal, phenomenal offensive line coach. And, and though I, I, I'll talk about Jim Williams here in a second, but uh, Coach Arusha, how he – worked with kids and his passion for kids and getting them to do what he wanted them to do and the effort in which they would do it is phenomenal. And again, it, I saw how he treated people. He told me one time, he goes, you know, you always got to keep an eye on next year's team. And really what he means by that is let's not forget the young kids that need us too, um, that are probably going to be playing the meaningful minutes uh, next year. And, you know, when, when, I coached with Coach Rusha. He was in his 70s. You know, he's 92 now. You know, and I was, uh, I remember, still remember leaving, uh, loading up to leave Dyke New Hartford and leaving him and that staff, you know, some of the best friends I've ever had and will have. And there's Don Arusha at 77 years old throwing stuff up in the U-Haul to help me move. And he didn't know how tough that was going to be for me. And, you know, my coaches here at Dowling, um, again, some of my best friends, Jim Williams, um, longtime coach, uh, you know, coached at, at Dowling. Um, he was the head coach at Simpson, was at Iowa State. Um, I kind of tricked him into coming back to Dowling, you know, my first year. And I, he thought he'd be here for a year or two, and now it's year 15. Uh, and, you know, his attention to detail, footwork, he, again, an offensive line coach, you know, Anybody that knows anything realized that I had Don Arusha and Jim Williams. You better win some football games when you have those two guys coaching the offensive line. Um, mm. But he's still that way. Um, you know, spread no huddles, not Jim Williams' deal. And uh, he'd, rather, <laughs> he'd rather line up in the eye and run ISO or power. Or, you know, he'd call it blunt and everything else. And he still refers to those every once in a while. But, you know, inside zone is inside zone. Uh, power is power. Uh, uh, outside zones, outside zone. Um, and again, our kids respect him uh, so much. Not, you know, only for what he has done in the game, but really what he's still doing in the game. Um, and you know, what I as I grow older, what I think is really, really important um, is that coaches with experience have to take pride in helping other coaches expand the game and what's important in the game. And coaches did that for me. Um, and 
Um, you know, that's part of the reason why doing podcasts like this, I think, and it is something that I enjoy. Um, but I also think that it's up to all of us to help all those future coaches or future head coaches out there to become as good as they possibly can. Uh, Coach, I, I was going to tell you, I have some experience with Don Arusha, that camp that uh, you mentioned, Wally Sheets uh, football camp. Um, my cousin played at Cedar Rapids Kennedy, and all those Cedar Rapids schools went to that camp. And Wally Sheets, actually, uh, his coaching career started in Tipton. Um, so uh, one of the – as an offensive lineman, uh, I, Coach Arusha was my coach at the Wally Sheets uh, football camp. And – when you mention his name, my eyes just light up because I have such fond memories. And even in that short amount of time that I had with uh, Coach Arusha during that week, uh, he was it was impactful to me as as a young player. And I can see why kids would just navigate uh, and gravitate towards him, you know, just with his style. And so, you know, I, I very very uh, happy to hear that. You know, Coach Arusha was is one of your mentors because I can I can see exactly why. You know, it's uh, it's phenomenal the impact that a lot of people can have. You know, and, and you know I should mention Ed Thomas as well. And you know, we I coached against him for for eight years. I think there was probably ten or ten or eleven games during that time frame, and. It was a big rival. Fortunately, we, we, we made it a rivalry again. Um, but Ed and I got along very well. And, you know, when I was thinking about this job at Dowling, one of the first calls I made was to Ed Thomas. And, and, you know, that doesn't happen very often because I think he was probably game one or two on our schedule the next year. Um, but I had a lot of respect uh, for him, and, and hopefully that was re- reciprocated and you know, he was just somebody that I leaned on. And, you know, one of the things that I always noticed about AP during that time frame was I think every kid in that school school wore an, a Falcon football T-shirt. And every boy in that school wore their letter jacket. And you don't see that nowadays. And, and, you know, a lot of people would make fun of something like that. To me, it was the pride that yeah. they, they had in that school. And I think Ed Thomas was the reason for that. Now, Al Kearns, one of his assistants, was another huge reason for it. But they had something going. And, you know, that was something as a fairly young coach I noticed. And, and it's just about the culture that they had created before people ever started talking about culture. Coach, as we as we wrap up today, I, you know, we've talked a lot of uh, awesome concepts. Is there anything that you know, maybe we haven't touched on that you feel like you would leave, you'd want to leave with anybody that's listening with us today that you think would be important for them to know with regards to leadership and coaching and pursuing greatness. You know, I think you guys have touched and really led me into a lot of topics that are, I think are really important. And, you know, empowerment we've mentioned, whether it's your assistants, uh, whether it's your players, uh, whether it's your parents. Um, you know, one of the things that I have found out, especially as the athletic director, is younger coaches may come in and say, hey, I just want to coach. Well, it kind of depends on what you mean by coach because 
a coach is a lot of things, and, and a lot of times what they mean is they want to be at practice and they want to be there on game day. And that's really not coaching in this day and age. It's, it's year-round. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to the families of which you're working with. It's a commitment to your school. It's a commitment to those parents. And, and I think it's important to empower your parents. And one of the best things that we have at Dowling is our parents. And, and some kids are afraid of, or excuse me, some coaches are afraid of that. You can't be afraid of that. Um, I, I think you have to be willing to walk arm in arm with them because the amount of support that you can gain from that is remarkable. Um, and about the time that there's a problem or something that you need to talk to a parent about, they're, they're much more open to that because they know the types of things that you're trying to do with a child. So don't run away from the other responsibilities that it takes to really, really make a difference as a coach. And uh, the X's and O's on, on the, the, the coaching board are really, really low on that pyramid. Um, it's everything else that's going to make a difference. Well, I, I don't know where to begin <laughs> to give you uh, enough gratitude and thanks for, for blessing us with your time today, Coach Wilson. Uh, I've got two pages of notes. Um, <laughs> I think Coach Mathis probably has the same. I know that you know our situation here with the coronavirus has, has dictated you know us staying at home, but, but what a great opportunity for everyone to get better and listen to you know, to coaches such as yourself and leaders who, who have been around and understand really the fundamentals of being great. It's it's not about putting great plays on paper. It's about empowering people and building relationships and, and getting to the heart of what's really, really important. And football is a vehicle for that. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I know that I, I can't wait to have um, a little bit more investment in your program. You know, the relationship side to me is so important as a head coach. And uh, I've always watched and admired from afar, but now that, you know, we've been able to have a face-to-face -face and conversation, it puts a lot more meaning. And, you know, Dwayne Orr, uh, who I work with, speaks so highly of you. And, uh, you know, this is just, he's building into that that mantra. And I know that he would want me to tell you hi from him. Uh, he, he's one of my favorite people in the world. And I have been fortunate to work with him. So, you know, from the bottom of my heart, and I know Coach Mathis feels the same way, uh, thanks so much for investing in us and your coaches and the kids and your programs and your parents. Um, you're leaving a legacy that a lot of people are going to have a hard time living up to. And it's a credit to who you are and, and, and who you've been built by. And, and so uh, we're going to bid adieu for today. Um, thanks again for your time. And as in everything, uh, for those of you who are listening, let's keep pursuing life, leadership, and greatness in all that we do. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today. We are honored that you chose to spend your time with us. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on any platform where you find your favorite podcasts. Let's keep chasing life, leadership, and greatness in all that we do. Have a great rest of your day.